0: Thank you for coming out on a Friday night. That's a big deal. I really appreciate it. It would have been sad to be here alone. Um, So I am quite well known for my frankness. Uh, How many people have had the dubious joy of hearing me speak before? Okay. So um, I, I don't, in church terms, I don't seem to think in the same way as a lot of people. I, I don't know why, it's not willful. I just don't seem to have the same ideas. I have different ideas. And I am not in any way saying better. Uh, I just issue that as a health warning um, in case you think that's rubbish. And maybe it is, um, but I'm also, I am also very open. Um, when when uh, I got married, Probably I was capable of telling anybody anything you know that you know in supermarkets. They've been trained to um, Ask you, you know, how are you? Well, they never used to do that of course, but now they do and I do feel the need to answer the question which really isn't what they're looking for at all But I can't I can't sort of stop myself. I used to tell complete strangers everything and uh, That's because I grew up in a family which talked about absolutely everything and my wife couldn't have come from a more um, different family a much more normal English family. So um, who knows really how this will come out. I'm a bit anxious about tonight. I'm not anxious about the rest of it. The rest of it's normal. So tomorrow is the ministry of Jesus, uh, another look at how Jesus did what he did, and then I suppose my concerted thoughts on how we can do the same ministry of Jesus. And then what does Pentecost mean? Which I'm sure we all feel we know the answer to. I'm sure we all do, but I'm gonna restate that. And just for the record, if you check yourself out and think I've got some non-Christians associated with me, they might quite like tomorrow night. I'm quite good for those people. So, here we go. You don't have to dip too far below the surface of things in our society to encounter a fair measure of, let's be British about this. Concern, really hopelessness. Uncertainty over Brexit, the promise of a life of long-term debt without home ownership for the young, Tottenham being in the top four, haven't really helped anybody recently. So when NOAA launched the Ark, I did one of the first ever alpha courses. And I would say that of the 30 people who attended, maybe two, had obvious and serious difficulties in their lives maybe to the extent that it was actually quite difficult for them to even hear the gospel there was so much in the way I would say that now um, virtually every person who does the Lord's own authorised version of the same thing which I call the life course um, basically has major issues and it's probably about the only reason they're there now, you could lay the blame at the door of decades of arid secularization. Now, the problem with dispensing with the myth of God is that there is nothing per- pervasive, um, to, sorry persuasive to actually hold us together. If there's no overall thing to which we're all subject in some way, there's really nothing um, to hold us together. If we are a multitude of gods... The common common good gives way to the pursuit of my best interests. And if people get in the way of that pursuit, they're going to get hurt. And we're seeing that in society in increasing measure. No political philosophy, ideal of community, national identity um, seem to carry enough power to counter rampant individualism. And individualism really means that it's every man and woman for him and herself and that there will be casualties You could point to the connected breakdown of marriage and extended family. Neuroscience is unequivocally demonstrating the the, the existence of loving long-term relationships is what we most need to function well in life. And the impact of relationship trauma on successive generations of children now, who are now adults, has been and is enormous. Almost impossible to underestimate. Not a surprise that there is now a Minister for Loneliness. A surprise it's taken that long to appoint one. So where does the church fit into this picture? It'll be okay. When I first started evangelizing people in this country, I was, I was an atheist. I became an atheist because of my experience of the Church of England, plus um, having the formal Church of England, plus doing religious studies O-level. I'm delighted the O-levels have come back in because I'd have to retranslate that now, O-level. So basically, I did religious studies O-level, which was a crash course in liberal theology, which explained how Jesus didn't do miracles because you couldn't possibly believe in miracles in the age of electric light bulbs, to quote Rudolf Bultmann, a leading liberal German theologian. And basically, therefore, what we were looking for for a very, very long time in theology was the real Jesus. Clearly, it wasn't the one of miracles, signs, and wonders, because as we know, those things do not happen. So we have to get rid of those, that layer of myth, and find the real guy. The real guy behind walking on water clearly Jesus did not walk on water because people do not walk on water. So clearly he was on a sandbar, he was having a paddle, but he wasn't actually walking on, actual, on your actual water. In the same way, he was not distributing bits of food and food and bread and blah, 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 fish, you know, because people can't do that. But a right-on dude like Jesus could probably persuade people to share their food, right? And I thought, well, that is easier to believe. And it's kind of human, and it does accord with my experience of the church, which is lifeless, dead, and as boring as hell. So basically, you put those two things together, and basically, clearly, this is a myth. So Jesus died on a cross, obviously, a failed hero. Uh, There is no resurrection because, let's face it, dead men don't rise, ever met one, no. So effectively, Christianity then got consigned by me into the realm of other religions, which I studied, and the occult, had a go at that, nothing. And um, so in the absence of any evidence of the supernatural at all, I um, became an agnostic and then an atheist, went to Oxford, studied law, met some Christians. If I'd met Christians before, they definitely did not blow their cover. Um, except there was one Methodist minister who spoke about Jesus in the school, and do you know what? It electrified my entire class of utter pagans. We all talked about God. See, anytime. I can still remember his face, his beard. I remember him. That's it. Never met him. I remember that. So the Crispies had something a kind of sense of peace which I definitely did not have. I was sick and tired of myself. I was sick and tired of using people. I thought everybody did that, uh, whether they knew it or not. And I saw an altruism in these people which was very appealing to me. I think that's enough for now of my story. When I first started evangelizing, having gone from nought to 90, because I had an encounter with Jesus at a Billy Graham rally. Basically, Billy Graham was speaking in the Oxford Town Hall on the video relay link, and a friend took me. And uh, Billy said, you know, if you want to become a Christian in his usual completely undramatic, contradicting every single rule of public speaking kind of a way, um, if you want to come to the front, please come to the front. You want to become a Christian? And I thought, I'm definitely not doing that. And I had to hold my chair because a power was moving me to the front. So I just held on, gritted my teeth, fought the power off, went home with my friend. We had an argument. And I think he must have been uncomfortable with that being a Christian at all. And so he suggested that we should pray together. And that was really embarrassing. I mean, what do you you say? Do you like to pray together? Not really and i prayed with my mum up until the age of about five you know god bless daddy and the rabbits but anyway so i don't know for whatever reason i couldn't say no so we sat in my room and he prayed something out loud and then the presence which i'd experienced in this room completely filled me from my head to my feet i was absolutely overwhelmed with being loved and known as i was i shook I spoke in tongues, he did not speak in tongues, he was a conservative evangelical. It was all shocking for everybody involved. And basically, um, basically, but then the most amazing thing really was not that, it was the, the complete change in me. I, I just wanted to read the Bible. I just couldn't put it down. It was like the best book ever written, just give me the Bible. I was studying law, which was like hell, and basically light relief was, I just want the Bible, just give me the Bible. And and the only thing that was better than the Bible was praying, let's just pray for hours and hours. I felt like a starving person who'd found food and this just went on, found a real church like this, walked into it, could not stop crying, didn't feel happy or sad, just couldn't push them back in. It was an overwhelming wham-bam experience, and I wanted to talk about my faith. And really, I only did ordination training so that I could do theology, so I could preach the gospel. I was never going to lead a church. I I only led a church because of an absolutely disastrous decision made by a church. So just in case you've experienced massive church pain, I'm going to trump you top it and double it so basically and yeah I'm still doing the thing in fact I leave one of them I think it's God's sick joke Um, so basically where does the church fit into this picture when I started evangelizing people in this country most of them had 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 a relationship of a kind with the church it was a bad relationship but it was a relationship nonetheless now I would say most people have no relationship with us, and that means that by the time they get to us, if they get to us at all, we are a last resort, and they've already exhausted other options, hence a considerable degree of damage by the time they actually arrive. I just remember one, one life course group, week one, I'm um, just imagine sitting in the Christian circle, and they're not even Christians, we're in a circle. Anyway, and so basically, would you like to say why you're here, who you are, what you do? You know, keep it light. And um, basically, (coughs) Buddhist on my right comes out with a straight face. Uh, You know, so my, my father died. My mother abandoned me and my sister. I was eight. She was six. We lived in a forest. I was sexually abused repeatedly. And basically, but I managed to protect my sister. And to cut a very long story short, and it was a very long, this is an opening sentence. I will help you, but you will never help me. I mean, like, phew. this woman shoots a hand across my lap to grab his hand. She is pissed, completely smashed out of her mind. And she's holding his hand. He says, Guy, I feel your pain. I just feel it. Now, the thing is, because he's a Buddhist, right? He doesn't have pain because he's above emotion. So she's insulting him with every single thing she says, but anyway, grabs his hand and she says, she said, I'm here, I'm here with my best friend, Max. I'm raising an eight year old son. This is Max, he's bought me. <laughs> I'm raising an eight year old son and a massive long story about her. I have no self-worth, my husband is leaving me and on and on. I mean, you know, it was like, it was like pandemonium in the group, in a very English-controlled, what-am-I-doing-here kind of way with the normals who've managed to find their way in the building. So, basically, it's going on and on, like one car wreck after another. And finally, I managed to wrestle it onto. so what kind of meanings do you think we attribute to our lives? Anyway, so my helper goes, Money! thanks and before we can even get any further with that and by the way it turns out he's been selling exam questions to kids Uh, he's a teacher, didn't know that and then basically, before we can get any further with that at all this woman's back in are you saying there isn't a supernatural dimension to life here's my best friend Max I'm raising an 8 year old son and he speaks to his dead grandparents every day and he has never met them and, <laughs> uh, this is Max, this is my best friend, and he, the only reason we can actually stay in our house is because he's partly exercised it. Imagine. I mean, where do you even start with that? That's not even that unusual. It's, it's terrible, but it's not even that unusual. I always say to people on this course, you look great. But I'm fairly confident, experience says, that underneath that, there will be things, and there are. Now, none of this means, whatever the church has been doing or not doing, that um, people have stopped searching for the real or for transcendental. The problem is that they doubt that the church has anything to say to them on this subject. If they want to explore God or spirituality, they are unlikely to connect these things with us. And the reason earlier generations had a bad relationship with the church was that it was boring and apparently irrelevant. Most of my generation didn't go to church because when their parents went, it wasn't interesting. That was the beginnings of the problem. My parents never discussed religion at home, ever. It made no obvious difference to their lives, none. They went every Sunday. They went to Trad Anakin Church, wherever they were, every Sunday. Different shades of liberal, grey, whatever. For decades now, people simply haven't been interested in what we do. I mean, here we are, right? But for decades, they have not been interested in what we do. I used to say, in reciting meaningless creeds, in dreary services, in outdated languages, but now, I would simply say, in what we do. The inability of our churches to do enough that is interesting over many decades means that we are continuing to decline in size at an unstoppable, um, size due to an unstoppable death rate amongst older churchgoers. Nothing we are currently doing is arresting this. Whatever anybody says to you, it simply statistically isn't true. Do you see what I mean when I say that I say things that other people... I mean, other people are nice, aren't they? You did not come here on a Friday night to hear this kind of thing, did you? This may leave you feeling completely unmoved. You didn't come here to hear this. Or depressed. Why did I bother coming at all? I mean, what is on telly on Fridays? Probably good things. Now, these have been my positions for what it's worth. Never one to bother that much with the bigger picture in anything. I have simply got on with what's been in front of my face. And really, in my church, just making church life as interesting as I can. So, for example, when The Office was a big deal, we made a piss-taking version of our own church life um, called The Church. Well, I say we. It was a Catholic film director who asked my permission and then did a sort of pastiche of me and the church and made a film. Tons of people came to see it. We've done our own Eurovision Song Contest. We had our own medieval banquet. We had our own Strictly Come Dancing. When these things were current, we did all of it. You know, X Factor, we've done all that. And we used to do our own spoof versions of these things. So just trying to be fun. Our pinnacle was probably a whiskey and gambling night. <laughs> I fought off the hot tub night. There are limits. Now, non-Christians have at least always come, though we are smaller these days, like most other people. And I am not in any way claiming to have succeeded whether other people have failed. I'm just saying I haven't really lifted my head above the parapet of my own preoccupations, but now that I am, I do not like what I see. But I'm haunted by the idea that the solution to our problem is at least tantalizingly straightforward. Surely, the people of this country just need to see something interesting, that God is manifestly alive amongst us. Then perhaps they would reevaluate the church. Currently, 38% of people in this country do not believe in God. That's a record for the UK. And a further 14% aren't sure. So that means that the country is well on the way to conclusively rejecting dull versions of church. Positively, though, if we who say we believe could actually be bothered enough, and this is probably the rudest thing I'm going to say, if we could be bothered enough, and I think that's our greatest challenge, being bothered enough... If we could be bothered enough to be interesting, because let's face it, you know, we believe in Jesus, right? We have the Spirit of Jesus. I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit, but you have the Spirit. And you probably could, a number of you could probably do the talks I'm going to do. I mean, obviously not as well, but you could. (laughs) So if we could get together and be bothered enough to be who we actually are, I believe they will think again. So what is being interesting? Well, it's behaving like the authentic, loving, spirit-filled body of Christ on the earth. Simples. As long as we know how to do that, of course. You do speak a lot of Christian. Have you noticed? I feel that you can take your average Christian, you know, they talk about football, talk about their home life, they talk about God, it's like a foreign language. And I worry about Christian language. So I think it's a bit killing to the soul. So we come in and we get Christianed. I like my worship leader to say things like, could you sing a bit more loudly? Um, I think we should sing that again. I don't really like the Christian stuff because we are human beings made in the image of God, and I think it's easier for us to speak to human beings as though they're human beings, keeping Christian content to a minimum. Obviously, we do need to say some Christian words. I'm going to accept that, words like Jesus. But can we actually try and say what we feel and mean rather than just... Coating everything with a sort of Christian gloss. this like glue to the ears and the heart, I think. Because the truth is, you know, you come in here tonight with all kinds of things going on, haven't you? Because you're a person like me. I've got all kinds of things going on in my life. Sometimes when I talk about uh, the miraculous, I begin with 20 minutes of my current worst problems. Thank God I'm not doing that tonight. And after a while, you know, people are thinking, what are you doing what I'm doing is I'm showing that if God can use an idiot like me to do these things, you stand quite a good chance. So let's go back to the beginning. The call of Jesus to his first disciples was absolute. They had to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. And so we're just kind of stumbling at the first hurdle. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. No turning back, Matthew 16 verse 24. And Jesus' commitment in return was absolute. He gave his life for them on the cross, He promised them the gift of His spirit, John 14:26. Now I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. Without these two supreme gifts of God's grace, do you think their discipleship would have been hopeless and disastrous? Sorry? Without the cross and the Spirit, do you actually think it would be disastrous, their discipleship? When the Spirit came on the disciples of Pentecost, Acts 2 verses 1 to 4, you'll be very familiar with this, nothing could stop them. I mean, this is not a nice thing, Pentecost. This is like you're minding your own business... And you look around, and your friend's heads are burning. And then you realise your head is also burning. And meanwhile, there is a ferocious storm in the house. No wonder they got out of there. It's not comfortable in the room. They need to get out to save themselves. Tongues of fire came and separated and rested. See what I mean? It's killing to the soul. Get so familiar with these things. When the Spirit came upon them, nothing could stop them. Despite threats, imprisonments, beatings, killings, their enraged opponents had to acknowledge that these timid, ordinary people had turned the world upside down. Do you believe that? I'm just asking you to check off what you believe. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a stupendous missionary achievement. It's never been paralleled in history. Devoid of human resources, they were totally dependent on the power of the Spirit. Do you believe that's the explanation? Just a question. Today, the church has innumerable resources, building sound systems, multimedia technology. Much less impressive is the evidence of the power of the spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe that matters? It's just a question. The vast majority of people who come to faith come across Christianity as children. Did you know that? Most people who come to faith come to faith because of some kind of childhood encounter. The average number of children in in our churches under the age of 16 is five. In this country, do you remember the decade of evangelism? Uh, How many alphas have we done? Just a matter of interest. At best, these have slightly arrested our decline. Can you see what this means? Can you see what this means? Friday night, Cheltenham. Can you see the crisis that we are in? It's quite a problem, isn't it? Or am I alone? I mean, I could just get on with just doing my own church. Do you know what I mean? It's not my thing coming and speaking to other people about this kind of thing. I am uncomfortable. I'm only doing it because I think God wants me to, otherwise I wouldn't be bothering. What can we do if we can be bothered enough? Well, I think we should start with the realization that we are actually in a crisis. I don't think people take crisis measures unless they believe they're in one. When your actual believers recognize they're actually in a crisis, what can they bring to the party? I mean, a crisis of any kind. Let's say one of your kids is is ill, seriously ill, choking. I mean, what you bring to the party is desperation and immediate action. And I want to say that desperation and prayer is probably the place to start. Desperation and prayer. It's very biblical. These things matter to God. I, I, don't, I think we, you know, we are like the perpetual bent penny. You flick it, it doesn't stay straight for very long. It just veers off to the side. We're like somebody trying to ride a bicycle. You know, We have a go for a bit and then off we go and we fall off. We, that's what we're like all the time. I don't know that God cares about that that much, but he does care about us actually kind of getting back on again. Wanting to ride it Desperation and prayer produced by the realization of the existence of a crisis Imagine though that we were part of the original crisis just to put ours in perspective. So there's 11 of us and Our task is very simple. It's to communicate the gospel to the whole world 11 versus the world no transport no modern technology Bye Just going up into heaven How is that ever going to happen? Seriously. And we give John a hard time, don't we? Sort of doubt, sorry, um, Thomas, doubting Thomas. I mean, doubting Thomas makes a lot of sense to me. He wasn't there. He was buying the milk. Jesus appears to other people, right? He comes back in. They're all saying he's raised from the dead. Of course he isn't. John saw him die. Of course he isn't. I mean, they must have had some interesting chats amongst themselves. What do you mean we're going to take the thing around the world? I mean, they haven't made it outside of Jerusalem. They didn't really make it in Jerusalem, did they? I mean, it's quite a challenge. In the closing hours of his ministry, Jesus spoke several times about the coming of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 16 and 17, 25 and 26. He calls the Holy Spirit a counselor, a comfort, an advocate. One coming alongside, who would be with the disciples forever. All that Jesus had been to them during these three short years of his ministry, the Spirit would be to them always and everywhere they went. He would guide and teach, encourage and rebuke, strengthen and empower. He would be the Spirit of truth, not received or understood by the world, but forever dwelling in all those who follow Jesus. He'd teach them all things, bring to remembrance all that Jesus had said to them. Do you believe that such spirit empowerment was only necessary for Jesus and his first disciples? No, right? I've never been able to follow the logic of this argument that some people try to make. But I have to say, if we were to judge by what most churches do and by what most churches do not do, we could only conclude that that spirit empowerment is believed to be, at best, an optional extra, something that's nice for some people, right? Right? I, on the other hand, had a dramatic encounter with the Spirit, so it's impossible for me to imagine spiritless Christianity. Let's face it. The Spirit is the mode in which we do everything Christian. Nobody comes to Jesus except by the Spirit. Nobody's changed apart from by the Spirit. Nobody understands the Bible except by the Spirit. Nobody prays without the Spirit. Nobody's gifted without the Spirit. Nobody does anything that's worthwhile in the church without the Spirit. So where's the demonstration that we give a flying monkeys about the Spirit? Seriously, where's the demonstration of that? If I had to force you to show me the evidence that you were somebody who was totally dependent on the Spirit, where would it be? I'm not saying you couldn't. I'm absolutely confident some of you could out-demonstrate me. That would be fine. I'd like to be out-demonstrated. Show me the evidence. Show me the money. Crisis. If you can't show me the evidence... That's all right. Jesus loves you. He will always love you. He's proved it. He will never, never cease to love you. But we do need to get back on the Christian bicycle. Start peddling. I've always seen demonstrations of the power of the Spirit. It's because of, by God's grace, it's how I was initiated into the thingy. So, after I became a Christian, I was taught by Pentecostals. I am not a Pentecostal. I do not like Pentecostalism. But they taught me. So within a year, I'd seen people converted. I'd seen the sick healed. I'd seen demons cast out. I'd been involved in deliverance within a year. It was amazing. And I saw the list of the gifts of the Spirit. And I thought, I want all of them. What do you think of that? I don't know how many times people said, I am asking God to show me what my gift is. I do not want to be carried away, I just want to know my gift. <laughs> mm-hmm. My father was a pathological liar, but he was very nice. So I played tennis, so he, I was forever meeting people who'd been told I played at Wimbledon. I mean, anything I did, he would lie about in a really positive way. <laughs> so, when I became a Christian, it did not occur to me that God would not want to use me or give me his gifts. So, I thought, I'm going to pray for all of them. It's not a bad idea, is it? You know, err on the side of kind of receiving as much as you can rather than, Phew, I don't want to be greedy. <laughs> So I'm just gonna draw very brief attention to four aspects of the Spirit's work. You know when people say that, they're lying. Blimey. Yep, I'm just gonna speed up. Four things, spiritual birth, just check, check, check. Spiritual birth, the Spirit brings us into relationship with Jesus. One person wrote, you prayed the Spirit would make my Christian life new and he did just that. I was filled with new joy and praise. I saw praise and love on every page in the Bible. Now I didn't know about Jesus, I knew him. So basically, it's about currently now knowing Jesus, not knowing about him. When was the last time you think God spoke to you or moved in your life? I'm not talking about years ago, I mean now. What's happening now? The Spirit makes the, intellect, the difference between an intellectual formal knowing and a personal experiential knowing that has to go on and on, on and on all the time. Without the work of the Spirit, there's no current encounter with Jesus. If people are in church anyway, and this isn't going on, it's because they're religious. Quite simply, however, Christians cannot be religious because Christianity is not a religion. It's the offer of a long-term loving relationship with God who made us, and the existence of that relationship is crucial to our well-being in life. I suggest that if we can be bothered to talk about this relationship to a relationally impoverished culture, we will have something interesting to say. And by the way, we're well past the time when evangelism isn't my thing. Evangelism isn't my thing. If evangelism isn't all of our thing, we will not gonna exist in 15 years. So it needs to become all. What do you think of the 11? Do you think they're all evangelists? I sincerely doubt it. They are, they are though. Jesus is their mother now and they're all signed up for evangelism. So spiritual birth, only the spirit, spiritual growth. Jesus describes the spirit as a counselor. The word means called alongside to help. The primary work of the Spirit is to glorify Jesus, and one way in which he does this in our lives is to reveal the likeness of Jesus in ever-increasing measure. Paul says we're being changed into, into his likeness from one degree of glory to another, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3.18. If we are not actively seeking the presence of the Spirit, we stand no chance of being transformed. I suggest that we all seek the presence of the Spirit so that we can be all changed into the kind of people who could be some use in the crisis that we're in. It's not about us, our schemes, our ingenuity, our ability to throw money at things. Goodness knows we've had a good go at this. It's about the spirit working in us to make us interesting people, just as Jesus was interesting to people. People liked Jesus, including sinners. Have you ever thought about that? Rampant sinners liked him. Do you think that was who he was pointing out their sin all the time? I don't think so. He somehow managed to be himself there without being conformed to their likeness or image and was still attractive to them. They liked him, they wanted to be with him. Is that true for you? Or can you just talk Christian at them? Spiritual gifts. Jesus promised his disciples they would do the same works he did in his earthly ministry. And even greater works, John 14, 12. He went on to speak of the coming of the Spirit. It's through people like us operating in the gifts of the Spirit that this promise is fulfilled. And yet, there's been such a hoo-ha in the church about the gifts of the Spirit, hasn't there? For goodness sake. Do you know what? We're out of time with this debate too. We need to receive as many of the gifts of the Spirit as God will allow. Jesus advanced the kingdom of God through signs and wonders. So did the apostles. Do you think that has no implications for how we might advance the kingdom of God today? Of course it does. Demonstrations of the power of the Spirit are interesting to people because they point to the reality of a God who is alive. They're not the only things that do. Showing love to people, radical expressions of love to people in need is crucial as well. But signs and wonders take some beating. On my last life course weekend, I deliberately spoke about the Gadarene demoniac, that well-known passage about the spirit. Why? Because there were two people who were demonized out of their minds. And I knew they were gonna kick off when the ministry started. So I thought, I'll just prepare people for this. And they did. There were screaming abdabs. People were being released of all kinds of stuff. I haven't got time to go into the details. It was quite funny. But, and also obviously very spiritual, but the thing I don't think many people emerged from the room doubting the existence of God though there were a lot of non-Christians there because I had prepared them and they saw it happen there are too many stories to question the reality of the power of the Spirit at work today In my book, at the end of every chapter, I've included one story from the life of my church, people in my church, with the simple aim of showing that if your church, too, commits to an ongoing life of openness to the power of God, you will have these kinds of stories. Because if God can do it in my church, he can certainly do it in much better ones. Just imagine being led by me. Now, there have certainly been abuses and poor models, but undeniably, the Spirit continues to give us gifts so that we can bear fruit in our ministries and advance the kingdom of God. If we are not doing what Paul tells us to do, which is earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit, that means you are really hungry, food is there, but you cannot eat it because there's a queue. You earnestly desire it, you are dribbling, you're salivating, you want the food. That's what it means to earnestly desire. It doesn't mean, well, I'll have it if I really have to, but I don't want to speak in tongues or whatever it is. We're cutting off access to the power source that we need to get our job done. And this leaves us with an arid, self-aggrandizing reliance on our own wit and ingenuity, which people out there have not found sufficiently interesting and never will. Spiritual power, finally. Years ago, a Catholic bishop, Cardinal Newman, once observed that the church is like a statue of a horse um, with its front legs lifted, ready to leap forward. Every muscle of its back legs standing out, throbbing with life. The trouble is, if you go back 20 years later, the statue is still exactly the same and it hasn't moved. And it's not interesting. By comparison, the early church in the first 20 years of its life moved forward by astonishing leaps and bounds. There was one simple reason the power of the Spirit was with them. Do you believe that? Or do you believe it had something to do with Emperor Constantine, which, by the way, was a serious death knell of Christianity, and Rhodes. People have seriously argued it was the existence of Rhodes, not R-H-O-D-E-S. No, no, Rhodes. How can we know this power? Jesus said that we must ask our Father for it. If you then, though you are evil, Jesus' usual loving tactic, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Spirit to those who ask? So in other words, if you, though you are a bunch of doofuses, if we, the doofi of the world, it's not a, it's not a compliment to be a Christian, right? We are God's sick joke, being told against those who are up together. Right? The powerful, the wise. We're only here because we're weak enough. It's deliberate. I know. So when you think to yourself, you know, I shouldn't be here, you are right. It's it's God's wisdom. It's his sense of humor. He loves it. Where we are weak, we are potentially strong. So long as we connect with the power of the Spirit. Otherwise, we've just got our weakness to show people. Or even worse, our weaker versions of what they do a lot better. If we're not seeking the power of the Spirit, we don't really have a church. Only vicar or committee control in the service of our interests, petty concerns, which have been shown to be uninteresting. We have to have any caution button about the Spirit surgically removed. Otherwise, we shall simply make it business as usual and continue to be of very little interest. Uh, My friend James um, told me a story about his father who's coming tomorrow because he loves praying for people. He doesn't live here. Um, And for years, he used to sit sit at the back of the church reading a newspaper very obviously so that everybody knew he was not, repeat, not paying attention. And then one day he experienced the power of the Spirit and he could be relied upon to sit with a stinking homeless person that nobody else would go anywhere near until the guy came to faith. So previously, prior to the experience of the Spirit, of no use to the mission of God. Once he's filled with the Spirit, more use than most people. Do you see that? It's really simple. It's the power of the Spirit, or not the power of the Spirit. Do you effectively know little about the work of the Spirit? I doubt it, actually. You you wouldn't be here. Do you know more about the Father and the Son? I doubt it. I imagine you're here because you are interested in the Holy Spirit. Paul specifically tells us not to be ignorant about the work of the Spirit. Have you had bad experiences at the hands of charismatics? still going to bet I can top yours and double it you have to get over it. You just have to get over it, guys. You're adults, put it behind you. The proper response to poor use and theology is not disuse, it's correct use and theology. We can't afford to have you on the sidelines. Have you ever come forward for prayer? Have you ever asked the Spirit to fill you? Do you know what I say to people in my church? even if the appeal is for one-legged pregnant women and you're male and not pregnant, still come forward. Just come forward for prayer as often as you can. I mean, once you've done it, right, it's easy. It's just doing it the first few times as a bit of a problem. Then you get over the problem and you just go, do you know what, I think I want prayer. And just go forward like a normal thing. Don't shove it off on the side like you're embarrassed by it or put it in a little room or in an upper room. You know, put it there where everyone can see it probably what you do. Has it been a long or weary time since somebody prayed for you? I'm sure some of you are professional charismatics have been here forever, been in this church forever, which has a reputation for being open to the power of God and seeing God move in power, I know. I simply invite those who want to be interesting, who want to see our situation change, to call upon the one person who can actually help us. Our crisis can't be averted by a one-off time of prayer or ministry, but we do have to start to address it somewhere at some time, and today we'll do. Okay.